Here is God's word from Romans 16 this morning. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Centrea, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prissa and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epenetus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ and my beloved Stachys. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman, Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent, as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you, so do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Quartus greets you. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith 
to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, Jane. If we gave out prizes for reading, Jane, you'd get one for uh, all those names in the middle there. Um, please keep that, that passage in front of you, if, either on the service sheet um, or in the Bible. And uh, also inside the service sheet, you'll see there's just a, a little outline for you, just to help you to see where we're going uh, over the next 25 minutes or so. Well, we began back in September, um, all those months ago, uh, to look at this greatest letter that has ever been written, uh, the Paul's letter, Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans. And so now, a fun, full sort of nine months later, we come to the final chapter. Now, if you've missed any, don't worry. Um, we're going to start all over again next week, uh, chapter one. Uh, that's not true. Let's, let's pray as we begin this final stage. Let's pray. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness, that the servant of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Our Father, we thank you for this final chapter of Romans, which we understand to be breathed out by you, that the Holy Spirit is the divine author And you have given it to us to teach us, to rebuke us, to correct us, and to train us in righteousness so that we might serve you well. And that's our prayer this morning, that you would do this work in us, that we might serve you to your glory. Amen. Well, after the Lord Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul is the most influential Christian leader to have ever lived. And that's pretty undisputable. Thousands converted to Christ through his ministry, loads of churches planted, books written that changed the world. In fact, outside of Jesus, it's arguable that no one in the history of the world has had more influence on humanity than Paul. Now, if you were to ask Paul, what is it that has made your ministry so fruitful, what do you think he would say? If you were to ask him, well, what makes any gospel enterprise or any mission work or any church ministry fruitful, what do you think he would point to as the key factors? Well, here's what he'd say first. He'd say that it is the grace of God and the power of the gospel that makes the ministry fruitful. That is, in fact, what he does say at the beginning of uh, chapter 1 of Romans. He says that if he has achieved anything, it is a result of God's grace alone, and it is through the power of the gospel that brings about the obedience of faith for the sake of Jesus' name among all the nations. But after the grace of God, and after the power of the gospel, here's what he'd say next as the major factor in the wonderful fruit of his ministry. Partnership. Partnership in that gospel work. And that's what we see here in, verse, in Romans 16. We see partnership, gospel partnership. Now Paul's already spoken to the Roman church about this and you'd have heard a little bit about this last week. 
Paul's heading to Jerusalem, and from there he plans to go to Spain to preach the gospel there for the first time. And so he urges the Romans to partner with him in that ministry, in fellowship as he comes to see them, and financially and in prayer. And it's that theme of partnership that began in chapter 15 that runs through into chapter 16. For by the grace of God, the cause of the gospel is furthered when we partner together with those who serve the Lord in gospel work. And that's the first point we have this morning. It's in verses 1 to 16 and verses 21 to 23. Partner with those who serve the Lord in gospel work. Now, rather than working our way through each of these names on the list uh, one by one, I want us to notice the various themes that we see here in these verses. So four big things to notice that all begin with were, sort of. So number one, the first thing we notice is the width of gospel partnership. There are 27 names in verses 1 to, 20, 1 to 16. 26 of those people are in Rome. And then there's Phoebe, who is a deacon of the church in Centraei, which is near Corinth, And she seems to be the one who brought the letter to the Romans over from Paul to Rome. And actually there are others who are mentioned who are are not named. They're sort of sisters or or mothers or family members. Not only that, but if you look at verse 21 to 23, you get eight more names. And these are the people who are working with Paul in Corinth. And it seems to me that this is just the first thing that strikes you as you read it that there are just so many different people involved in the church. Actually, there are churches, plural. There are maybe three or four different house churches here. Let me just show, you, show them to you. So you've got verse 5, the church in Prisca and Aquila's house. And then two more in verse 14 and 15. This is where I'm going to get the names a bit wrong. Greet Asyncretus, Phlegon. That's a great name, isn't it? Phlegon. Uh, Hermes, Patrobas, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. So one church. And then verse 15, Greek Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympas, and all the saints who are with them, another church. So at least three churches there. We presume there are more. And so just notice that this partnership extends between the various churches in the city. They're working together to serve the Lord. This is how churches should be. And aren't we grateful for the partnerships that we have with churches across Edinburgh, with Redeemer in Collinson, which we mentioned earlier on, with Charleston in Dundee, and with many more churches across the nation who are serving the gospel of Christ, that we are not alone in the cause of the gospel. And then within the churches, the width of diversity is really quite something. There are all kinds of different people. There are men and women. There are those who are single and those who are married. There are the poor. So there are the common names of slaves in this list here. And there are wealthy people, people like Phoebe, who we read in verse 2 is a patron of many gospel workers. She uses her resources to support people in ministry. There are those who work in Christian ministry, like Prisca and Aquila, seem to be doing that full time. And there are some who are prominent in secular jobs, aren't they, in public life, like Erastus in verse 23, who works for the local government in Corinth. 
and there is ethnic diversity. That's what we've seen all the way through the book of Romans. There are Jew and Gentile serving together. See, no other community on earth has this kind of diversity, of equal partnership between so many different people from so many different backgrounds. And I'm really glad to be part of a church like Chalmers where this is reflected. So the first thing is that gospel partnership is to be wide with all types of people and with many different churches serving together for the sake of the gospel. So that's the, th- the first thing. The second one is this. We see the warmth of gospel partnership. So who are they? Well, they're real people, aren't they? They've got real names. They live in real-life situations in real historical places. And they're in real loving relationship with each other. Paul speaks so warmly of them. They are sisters and brothers in Christ. They are beloved. He uses that phrase a couple of times, the beloved friend. So they're like family. You get Rufus's mother in verse 13, who has been a mother to Paul as well. She cared for him, looked after him. And they are to greet each other with a holy kiss, a sign of deep affection. And for those of us who've been Christians for a while, we recognize this phenomenon, don't we? The warmth that grows between us as we serve together. Now, throughout the years, we've been involved in various ministries, and uh, the particular ministry that I was involved in a lot in the previous church was youth ministry, and um, we ran a midweek Bible study group for secondary school age young people, and there'd be a team of about five or six of us, and we did that for about 10 years or so, and we'd run camps off the back of that ministry. And these people who you serve with become those who you form real bonds with, not just that, there will be other, many other ministries as well. The people that you become close to are so often the people who you give your heart and life in service with. I'm sure many of you could give similar testimony. Partner with others in the service of the gospel and you'll get to know them and you'll come to love them and you'll build warm and lasting relationships with them. Now that just might be something that some of us here need to think about this morning to take on board, particularly if you're new, particularly if you've only been around a short while, or if you're feeling on the outside of things. See, the best way to form relationships is often by being part of a team who serves together. And I know that many of you have got to know each other by cleaning the chairs after every service over the last year. That's not the only ministry. There are plenty of different ministries we could be involved with, but serving together brings real warmth and gospel love for each other. And if you'd like to be more involved, please do speak to me and uh, we can see what we can do to help you. So we've seen the width of gospel partnership and the warmth of it. And now, number three, we see the work of gospel partnership. So have a look at verse three. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, 
to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Or how about verse 6? Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Or verse 12, greet those workers in the Lord, Trophana and Trophosa, probably twins. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. There's much joy to be found in the relationships that we have as a church family, but these are not mere friendships. They are friendships, but they're more than that, aren't they? They're partnerships in the hard work of the gospel. These people, they put their lives on the line for the work. They gave their sweat and their tears and, yes, their blood for the cause of Christ. Some of them did it in a full-time capacity. They were set aside in ministry roles, but others did so outside of their normal working life. And Erastus, the guy at the um, last part, had a prominent job in the city, and yet he served wholeheartedly the gospel in his spare time, just as it is today. It was, and it is, hard work. Now, I used to play a lot of sport, but realistically now I'd sit on the sofa and watch a lot of sport and tell other people how they should be playing a lot of sport. We can't do that in the Christian life. It's hard work, yet it is the work of the gospel that changes the world and there is no greater cause to dedicate your heart and life to. And we are really thankful in this church and elsewhere for those who have poured out their lives in service to Christ. See, partnerships to be wide, it creates warmth, and it's hard work, but it is worth it. So that's three. Four, the oneness of gospel partnership. It's not quite a W, but I hope that you'll let that slide. The big theological theme of these verses is that gospel ministry is Christ-centred. See, it's not their friendship, though they probably were friends. It's not their family ties. It's not their common cause, even, though they share those things. At the deepest level, it's their oneness in Christ that unites them in partnership. And it's all over these verses, isn't it? In verse 2, welcome her in the Lord. Verse 3, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. Verse 5, the first convert to Christ. Verse 7, they were in Christ before me. Verse 8, my beloved in the Lord. Verse 9, my fellow worker in Christ. And so on and so on and so on it goes. Till finally we reach Tertius, who's Paul's scribe, who actually wrote down the words of Paul. In verse 22, I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you how? In the Lord. See, this is the essential unity of gospel partnership. We serve with one heart and one mind because we are one in Christ Jesus, united in him through the gospel and for the gospel work that he's called us to do. So this is gospel partnership. This, we are to partner with those who serve the Lord in gospel work and the partnerships to be wide. There are many different and diverse people and churches involved. It's warm. It's where loving relationships 
performed. It's hard work giving our lives over to the task. And it's based ultimately on the oneness that we have in Christ Jesus. So let me just ask you this morning, how's it going? If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, are you as committed as these people are to serving their local church and serving the church in the wider world for the cause of the gospel? Are you partnering with others in this way? If not, can I urge you to begin? Because there really is no greater thing in this world. But verse 17 is an abrupt intrusion. Where we are to partner with those who serve the Lord in gospel work, we are not to partner with everybody. There are some, in fact, who we must not partner with. It's quite striking, isn't it? Just the way that it reads. You get, we greet, we greet, we greet, we greet. Verse 1 to 16. And verse 21 to 23, we greet, we greet, we greet. But the warmth of feeling is rudely interrupted in verse 17 to 20. And I think Paul does this to really grab hold of our attention. We have a warning here in these verses. Don't partner with those who serve themselves and wreck gospel work. Now, sadly, not everyone who claims to serve the Lord Jesus and the gospel actually does. And Paul wants to warn the church, don't be warm to them. Don't partner with them. Avoid them. Verse 17. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. Watch out for them. Make note of them. They bring division, not unity. And rather than growing people in the gospel, they cause people to stumble as they teach things contrary to the gospel that Paul has proclaimed. Now, a fly just landed right in the middle of my <laughs> notes. <laughs> there you go, he's gone. Um, sorry, there's a distraction. Now, it can't be that in these verses, Paul is thinking about the same stuff. If you were here a few weeks ago, we were looking at chapter 14 and we thought about disputable matters and opinions. It can't be that he's talking about the same things here. Because there he told, told us that we're to find ways to embrace each other over secondary issues. He doesn't say that here. He says avoid them here. So this is clearly far more serious. So we aren't told exactly what these people teach, but it is clear that the things that they teach are anti-gospel, anti what Paul has taught in Romans 1 to 11. So perhaps they deny the behavior that Paul said in Romans 1 was sinful. Perhaps they say that's actually fine in God's sight. So you can't partner with churches who deny that sin is sin. Why? Well, because they convince people that they don't need the gospel, that they don't need to repent and they don't need to be saved. Or perhaps they deny what Romans 3 to 8 teaches, that we are justified by faith alone, through Christ alone, by grace alone. 
See, a church that says we need to add a religious rite to make sure of our salvation, well, they cannot be partnered with because they deceive people about the sufficiency of Christ's work. And they cause people to stumble by leading them into guilt and robbing them of their assurance. And there'll be many more examples of those who claim the name of Christ and yet who wreck gospel work by what they teach. Now, do these gospel wreckers, do they still exist today? Well, certainly, of course they do. Some may well enter through the door of the church at some point. There'll be some established in churches across the city. And there are certainly many in churches and denominations throughout the country. And for many, the method by which they find their way in will be through books or through magazine articles or through a YouTube channel or a podcast. Paul says, with such people we must not partner, for they do not work out of the same motive, and they do not work for the same goal. Verse 18. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. They don't serve themselves, uh, sorry, they don't serve the Lord, they serve themselves. They don't seek to bring glory to the name of Jesus, they seek to bring glory to their own name. They'll sound impressive, certainly. They'll have charismatic personalities, they'll say things people love to hear. They'll have best-selling books and record numbers of YouTube subscribers. And they'll have churches full of people but they wreck gospel work, for they teach what is contrary to Paul's gospel, which is Christ's gospel. And Paul here says, don't be naive, be wise. Verse 19, for your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. They're doing well, the Romans, they do believe the true gospel, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. Now, for all that, that may be, all this may be disconcerting for us. Paul does not want us to be fearful or discouraged, and so he offers this this encouragement: the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. See, in this they can be confident that the chief gospel wrecker, the one whom these people serve. He will be crushed in the end. And in the meantime, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ will sustain them. So there's the thrust of this final chapter of Paul's letter. He taught us the gospel in Romans 1 to 11. He's shown us the transformation that the gospel brings about in our lives in Romans 12 to 15. And now as he closes, he urges us to partner with him and with each other in bringing this gospel to the world. We're to partner with those who serve the Lord in gospel work and to not partner with those who serve themselves and wreck gospel work. But it's not the final note of his letter. 
The final note of this great masterpiece comes in verse 25 to 27. Now to him who is able to strengthen you, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed, and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Paul's final words to the Romans and to us is a prayer of praise to God, now to him. And it's fitting that this letter ends in praise. It is, in the end, a letter about God, not us. It's about his glorious gospel that Paul here can sum up in just two words, Jesus Christ. See, we must not let the challenge of gospel work and the excitement that we have for serving Christ become more important to us than Jesus Christ himself. It's not about us, it's about Jesus. Jesus Christ, who was seen in shadow in the Old Testament prophets, but who's now revealed in the full blaze of his glory to all the nations of the earth. Jesus Christ, who, while we were still sinners, died for us. Jesus Christ, who through his death has paid the penalty for our sin. Jesus Christ, who by faith has granted us justification, declaring us righteous in God's sight. And Jesus Christ, who by his resurrection grants life to the dead and the Holy Spirit to all who trust in him. This is Paul's gospel, and it's God's gospel, and it's all about Jesus. It is this gospel that will strengthen us, verse 25, as we dive deeper and deeper into its depths, and we see more of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. It's this gospel that will produce in us the obedience of faith that we will need to carry out the gospel work that we've been called to in the world. And I trust that your experience over these last nine months as we've looked at this together is that the gospel according to Romans has done just that. Yet for all the good that it's done us, and I trust that it has done us good, most of all it is this gospel that brings glory to God. And this is where Paul finishes and it's where we finish. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful letter. We thank you for helping us as we have studied it over this last year. Thank you for the good that it has done us, the strengthening it has done to our faith. And now, Lord God, as we've heard this morning of this call to partner together in the work of the gospel, to bring the gospel to the world, we ask, Lord God, that you would strengthen us to the glory of your name.
Amen.